0: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Imani Wilson Shabazz, and I am the Partnerships and Engagement Manager at Plan C. Plan C is a nonprofit public health campaign providing information and resources to increase access to medication abortion for people across the United States, no matter which state they live in. In fact, abortion pills are available right now by mail in all 50 states including Florida. (laughs) Since the fall of Roe, the media has highlighted the harmful repercussions of abortion restrictions and bans on providers and pregnant people. And while Florida's residents wait for a court decision that would allow a six-week abortion ban to take effect, Plan C, with the support of fantastic artists that we've been collaborating with, is focused on what people can do right now to care for themselves and each other, while continuing to fight against unjust laws. Today we are thrilled to invite you to For Freedom's panel discussion, Imagining a Culture of Listening, Healing, Awakening, and Justice, a panel discussion about art and inclusive civic participation. Los Angeles-based cultural producer, art historian, curator, and For Freedom's co-founder Michelle Wu will moderate the discussion featuring multidisciplinary artist Autumn Breon, Artist, Founder, and Executive Director of Center for Art and Advocacy, Jesse Crimes. And Founder and Co-Director of Project for Empty Space, Jasmine Waheed. This panel discussion is an amazing opportunity to examine the role of artists in shaping society and politics. At Plan C, we believe in and have witnessed firsthand the instrumental role of artists in creating and informing public discourse while sharing vital healthcare information and the practice of care within society for people across the US and beyond. It is thus an incredible honor for Plan C to support this discussion and uplift these brilliant artists and their creative visions in the hope of supporting even more conversations and creative and political actions that inspire change in the future. For more information on Plan C and to take action, please follow us at Plan C Pills and visit plancpills.org. Again, I wanna give a huge thank you to Untitled and for Freedoms for allowing us to support such transformative art and artists. Without further ado, I'd like to pass things over to Michelle. Thank you.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Can you guys hear me? Okay, cool. Um, thanks for taking time out of this chaos that is our Basel week to come and join us for a few minutes today. Um, we're so excited to be partnering with Untitled for the second year in a row. So just want to thank Clara, Omar, and Anichka for the opportunity. And thanks so much, of course, to Martha and Imani from PlanCPills.org for sponsoring our panel discussion today. Um, After the talk, please check out our limited edition print sale featuring incredible artists April Bay, Christine Sun Kim, Hannah Ward, and Petra Courtright. All proceeds will go to supporting the artists and Four Freedoms' upcoming initiatives. And now, on to the fun part. (laughs) So, for folks here and listeners who are unfamiliar, At Four Freedoms, we work with artists in order to elevate the voices of creative, open thinkers and make space for more nuanced conversation. And as a culture, you know, I think we've kind of forgotten that working and building together connects us and sows seeds of unity, compassion and progress. And as artists, we openly practice failure, disagreement and dissent because we feel it creates a healthier, critically-minded society, and it also makes better art. (laughs) Um, With that in mind, I wanted to talk about how artists are valued, how they're essential to shaping public discourse, and how they've always inspired new ways of thinking. I'm so excited to introduce our incredible guests today, Autumn Breon, Jasmine Wahi, and Jesse Crimes. Autumn is a multidisciplinary artist who investigates the visual vocabulary of liberation through a queer black feminist lens. Using performance, sculpture, and public installation, Breon invites audiences to examine intersectional identities and diasporic memory. Jasmine is an alumna, oh sorry, excuse me. Jasmine is the founder and co-director of Project for Empty Space, a nonprofit organization in New York and Newark, New Jersey. Her multifaceted curatorial practice predominantly focuses on issues of FEM empowerment, complicating binary structures within social discourses, and exploring multi-positional cultural identities through the lens of intersectional feminism. And last but not least, Jessie is a Philadelphia-based artist and curator whose work explores how contemporary media shapes and reinforces societal mechanisms of power and control, with a particular focus on criminal and racial justice. Shortly after graduating from Millersville University, he was indicted by the US government on drug charges. While serving a six-year prison sentence, he produced and smuggled out numerous bodies of work, established prison art programs, and formed artist collectives. After his release, he co-founded Right of Return USA, the first and only national fellowship dedicated to supporting formerly incarcerated artists. So because your practices are all so different, I'd love to kick it off by asking each of you a specific question. And Autumn, I'm gonna turn to you first. <laughs> so you're, you're a multimedia artist that focuses on memory, connection, intersectionality. And when I think of it, I think about the role of embodiment in particular and more specifically, how you create experiences and performances that center beauty. For me, they feel like primers for cultivating nuanced conversation, specifically about justice and healing. Can you talk a little bit about how art, beauty, can be that pathway to healing, but also the connection between healing, action, and empowerment?
2: Yeah, sure. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Happy Miami Art Week! <laughs> um, I, I appreciate that question, that's, that's so thoughtful. Um, I've been thinking about Christina Sharp's work and, and especially her writing about beauty, specifically. Um, she, she has this book called Ordinary Notes and each note is dedicated to a different concept. And the note on beauty gave me such a a wonderful framework to think about the work that I do and a vocabulary for the work. When she described beauty, when when I think of beauty, I I just don't think of something that's aesthetically pleasing or or something that's easy on the eyes. I think of it as like a a type of conjuring, a a verb. And, And she describes beauty as an attentiveness whenever possible to a type of aesthetic that escapes violence whenever possible. And and that helped me think of of beauty as a verb where you might be dealt something that you never asked for. It might be oppression, it might be harm, but but what's the conjuring that you can do to convert that into something useful, into agency? And that's how I think of my creative practice. my performances are all meant to be rituals and ceremonies that come from a planet called esoterica. And it's a place where I imagine abolition embodied, where I imagine care as an antidote to violence. And objects are meant to be artifacts from the same planet that I've imagined. It's about 300 light years from Inglewood. Uh, it's a matriarchy and it's a place where care is abundant. So one of the objects that I made uh, is a retrofitted vending machine. It's hot pink, it glows, and call and response is important for my work. So my call was asking black women, what items remind you of care? And the responses that I got were abortion pill resources, pads, tampons, edge control, edge brushes, lip gloss, uh, books that are sometimes banned. I filled that vending machine with all of those items and they're free of charge. And it pops up in different places around the world and it's meant to be a reminder of the world that we can create wherever we are. So the idea is that esoterica isn't this, this far away place, but it's an idea, it's a concept, an energy that can be converted and, and replicated. So I, I think that when we think of embodying beauty as a verb and converting what we might be dealt it really opens up a lot of possibilities to imagine a new type of world that we can live in. It might be abolition, it might be care-based, but there's a certain type of agency that
1: I think beauty uh, can invite you to imagine. No, thank, thank you so much for that. Um, connected to this idea of, you know, when we talk about these ideas, it's one thing, but then when we actually get to experience them and embody them, right, feel them in ourselves, it's sort of when the the moment of transformation can happen. Um, So connected to this idea, um, I wanted to popcorn it over to you, Jasmine, and it's good to see you again. (laughs) Um, I wanted to circle back to something actually you and I talked about at New Wave, and that is how artists are stewards of culture that can provide a pathway towards participation and a sense of agency and as an educator and curator can you talk a little bit about the role of art in sparking better conversations especially in a time when listening and conversation feel very fraught
3: yes holding holding space for conversations in a fraught time um, i think first and foremost i should say that it's very difficult Um, I think we are in a time of great access um, and great information, access to information, um, particularly through social media, which I won't go on a huge diatribe about, but it's a double-edged sword, right? So it can spark conversation and be a place to cultivate certain types of information, but it can also serve as a space that is very reductive and one that for whatever reason, over the past decade or so, we have come closer and closer closer to taking as a sort of gospel amongst many communities um, in spite of its reductiveness and the way it, it creates silos. So it does, I guess all of that to say, it does make it, I think, harder to have organic conversations when we are working towards or working against um, mechanisms that make it difficult to find nuance. Um, And so how do we do that now as artists? And I guess the other thing I should say is I believe very strongly that artists exist, artists and culture makers sort of writ large, exist in a symbiotic relationship with the way society functions so that we are not only reflecting what is happening or has happened, but are also almost insidiously or or under the radar shaping what is to come for our futures. Um, and when you pivot the way we think about artistic practice that way, you realize that the influence that we have in cultivating conversations that are important, that are about livelihood, that are about decolonialism, that are about recontextualizing histories, not erasing particular narratives, but adding to them, being multicentric. You realize that we are important, and not only important, but essential to pushing the world forward. I actually have no idea if that answered your actual question. I just went on a sort of tangent.
1: No, it did. Okay. <laughs> it did, it did. No, thank you so much for that. Um, Jesse. Um, I'm a huge fan of you and your work, and congratulations on everything as of recent. And you're, you're making enormous strides in supporting underrecognized artists and creative communities, especially those impacted by the criminal justice system. Um, I'd love to start with you in asking, how, can you tell us a little bit about the role that art played in your journey? And, and how art can potentially reshape the mechanisms of power that support um, these really deeply rooted flawed notions of good and bad and right and wrong.
4: Um, Yeah well first thank you for that. To say that art played a significant role in my life is I think a huge understatement. Um, I mean I can honestly say after being under some kind of carceral control since the age of 13, going from like juvenile probation in jail to state and federal prison. Like when I came home, not even when I came home, but throughout that entire process, art had literally saved my life. Like that is not an understatement. That is not some cliche thing that I'm just saying. It literally saved my life because the first year that I was in prison, I was in solitary confinement. And like being locked down 23 hours a day with no access to the outside world and like no human interaction, no real, um, no real way of, of actually maintaining your sense of dignity or, or, or humanness, um, artwork provided that space for me to hold on to a part of myself that the system was basically designed in a way to take away and strip me of. And so I've seen so many people in those conditions get lost to that system, right? And again, people will say that the prison system is broken. It actually is not. I think it is functioning exactly how it is designed to function. And that is to destroy people, to tear apart communities, and to really oppress people across the country. That's why we have over 2.2 million people in prison. It becomes a very political tool. And so, The role of art functioned not just to save me as an individual when I was in that situation, but it also served as this communicative device that allowed me to kind of cut across all of these different facets in the prison system that helped to humanize me to other people that are incarcerated, to the guards. It was really, really incredibly transformative in in the way that people ended up viewing me. And so when I recognized that power uh, that art was giving to me and how it was really this like space of communication of of, of vulnerability that allowed people to kind of interact with me, not as Jesse Crimes, the inmate number, but as Jesse Crimes, the human being and the artist, it honestly gave me a sense of identity and purpose. And so I started uh, facilitating classes on the inside and I would just see people just absolutely transform because it was the first time in forever that anyone's actually asked them, like, "What are you good at? What are you interested in? How can I actually like help you excel at what you're interested in?" And so that's where like the all of the ideas for the Right of Return Fellowship and the Center for Art and Advocacy were kind of germinated. And when I came home, um, me and Russell Craig founded the Right of Return Fellowship as a way to kind of engage with all of these artists who we knew were coming home from prison, who are incredibly talented, but provide them with like the resources, the mentorship and the network to actually support them in the pursuits that they're genuinely interested in. And I think, you know, we've since since we founded the organization in 2016, we've supported over 31 artists and we're often like the very first funder of these artists. And they've gone on to get MacArthur Genius Grants, Pulitzer Prizes, Guggenheims and Creative Capitals. And it's just like, what that tells me is like the tiniest little bit of um, just genuine interest and care can really have huge transformations out here in the world and huge ripple effects. And so that's something that I think is really important of how we change conversations is that we support people who are directly impacted by the things that we that we want to change, and we position them as authors of their own experience and do whatever we have to do to amplify and elevate them so that they can lead some of these conversations and interact with people all over the country.
1: Wow, thank you, Jesse, so much. You know, it, it makes me think that um, You know, advocacy through art is a different way to both think about the nature and importance of issue-based advocacy, but also, I think, a different way to think about the value of art in society and the value of art in terms of how we shape our communication systems and how we see each other and value the things around us in relationship to one another. Um, So yeah, I I think you're just so spot on there, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna popcorn it over back over to Autumn. But um, you know, speaking of care and communication, Autumn, your project, the Care Machine, which is currently debuting at Prism, very exciting. You all should go see it. um, is an interactive art installation that explores this connection between access to information and resources. Um, and, and the practice and culture of care and, and what that really looks like. So would you mind telling folks a little bit about the project, um, what inspired it, and kind of where it's going? Sure, sure. I, I wholeheartedly believe that accurate
2: information and sharing accurate information is a form of care. That's a way of, of loving folks and, and caring for ourselves and our community. So I wanted a beautiful way to, to capture that idea and to invite folks to interact with that. I'm, uh, I'm really attracted to familiar cues that people can use to, to interact with concepts that might be interpreted as esoteric. I don't think that care is an esoteric concept. I don't think that abolition is an esoteric concept. I think it's very simple. I, I don't think that healthcare and having access to abortion pills is, is complex. But if folks are going to interpret it that way, it's like, okay, l- let me just make it as simple as possible for someone to be able to engage with it. And it might be joy. It might be beauty. That's kind of like the breadcrumb before you actually digest and interact with the bigger concept. So... Vending machines just happened to be that, uh, that method, that channel that I could use. So I retrofitted a vending machine to make it what I wanted it to be. I programmed everything to be free because the idea is that beauty is essential. Care is essential. All of these items in this vending machine should be free everywhere that we go. And, and I started by asking Black women what reminded them of care, what provides care, because I reference the Combahee River Collective statement in most of the work that I do. We're familiar with Harriet Tubman, right? Uh, Did y'all know that she was a spy for the US government? So the Combahee River was one of the the biggest moments of liberation where she freed some of the most enslaved people that she ever did at once. And uh, about a century later, The Combahee River Collective was a group of queer, black writers, academics, poets that came together and uh, created this collective around intersectionality. And a part of their manifesto, their statement, was saying that if black women are free, the rest of the world will inevitably benefit because in order for black women to be free, we have to destroy all of the systems that are also impacting the entire world. So if we can imagine a world that's free for black women, the possibilities are limitless. So I I started by asking black women, what provides care? What do you need? And then filled that vending machine with it and we pack it up and send it to different parts of the world so that folks can benefit from getting free pads, from getting great books that are written by Toni Morrison, by Kimberly Drew. I I think that um, it's helpful sometimes when something might seem intimidating, but where you start with something that's really simple and human, like joy, like care, and that's where we can start the conversation with each other. So that was the inspiration. Did that answer your question?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, just to kind of continue the thread around care, um, Jasmine, I would love for you to share a little bit about your upcoming kind of multi-channel, multi-prong initiative body freedom for everybody. Um, it's a mobile art exhibition that addresses the importance of agency, autonomy, and choice when it comes to healthcare and individual identity. Um, it'll be a digital database of information and resources. So yeah, share a little bit about that with us. Sure.
3: Um, and I just want to say it is always remarkable to me that the things that all of us are talking about are still somehow considered radical like free pads basic ass healthcare the fact that we like still pay a premium for basic ass healthcare is so wild to me and the fact that any of what we do is considered considered radical but not just like regular is baffling still but i commend all of us I'm gonna include myself in that for doing this work to sort of recontextualize and and pivot the way that we think about these things. Um, And I guess in that vein, the Body Freedom uh, Initiative comes after a project that we did in 2020 initially as an emergency exhibition um, with a a cohort of several folks, artists, fellow curators, um, cultural producers, thinkers, called Abortion is Normal. Um, And at that time, that project was a response to the introduction of legislation across the country um, to reduce access to reproductive healthcare, specifically abortion healthcare. And now in a post-Roe world that seems very quaint, um, and almost to me, it seems a little silly, um, and so it was with a, a bittersweet feeling that we decided to revive this idea of doing an exhibition that addressed it. But rather than simply have a static exhibition that lived in New York, which is where I live, um, we wanted this to be an endeavor that addressed the larger spread of this country. Um, and so what we are doing are, well, I guess before I say what we are doing, the other thing that sort of evolved from this project, which initially was very specifically oriented around reproductive care is a expansion so that this project is now about being inclusive of queer advocacy and healthcare and queer joy, as well as reproductive justice. Because I have come to a point where I realize focusing on single issue topics while great does not address the fact that these issues exist in conversation and in dialogue with each other. So if you are going to be anti-reproductive healthcare, likely you are going to be anti-transgender affirmation care. And if you are vice versa, these things go hand in hand. They all fall under body autonomy. And as I have said in the past, if they came for you in the morning... They'll come for you at night. And so it's with that ethos that we're thinking about how we can be expansive and build coalition and join in this fight together, fighting for all of our freedoms. And so what we're doing is we have a box truck that has been donated to us, and we are filling said box truck with art and a stage and a place for people to record their memories thoughts, ruminations, screaming into the void, whatever it is for an archive. And we are taking this truck and all of the things in it across the country to currently 10 different locations that are curr- that currently have legislation proposed against um, LGBTQIA rights and against reproductive health care. Uh, side note, there are 50 states and territories that have legislation proposed including some of the most blue states that you can think of new york city being one of them um, have bills proposed against queer folks writ large there is only one that does not have something proposed Um, and so we are going to all of these places not necessarily as a, a voting, get out the vote endeavor um, because we are in a fraught times as far as that goes, but as a way to build community. So even if you have never met me in real life, even if I've never met you or know nothing about you, the fact that we have these sort of Venn diagram of communities that come together, being queer, being femme, being women, being trans, whoever you are, this, these issues impact you. And so we are coming to you to let you know that we are here and we are very proud and unabashed of who we are and what we have the rights to. And so that will start in July and it will go through September unless we get the funding to go longer. Um, But yeah, we are doing this as a community building endeavor, sort of like a bat signal. You need us, we'll be there. And that's pretty much it. And we'll be seeing Autumn on the way.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say that um, something that I, I, I'm really excited about is the um, mobility of these projects. That they're physically going to be moving across the country in the lead up to a very, very contentious election season, which is about to kick off. Um, and something we talk a lot about at Four Freedoms is this connection between having access to creative spaces, having access to art. Um, And our sense of political agency, we're more likely to be participants in the system if we um, have the space to think freely and to criticize and to question. Um, So I'm really excited that they're going to be visiting all of these different places that will likely uh, lack political access in many ways Um, And we know that that voter suppression obviously is quite rampant um, today. Um, Can I jump in and add one thing really quickly? Yeah, of course. Yeah.
3: So voter suppression, if you don't know, I'm just going to drop this little reminder. Voter suppression happens in many, many ways. And it is a violence. And if you don't remember or keep in the back of your mind that it is happening in every single state, in every single city, primarily impacting communities of color. You need to remind yourself of that all the time and make sure you get out there. And even even if you don't vote, make sure it is known that this is happening. And you as someone who presumably if you're have if you're at an art fair, I'm gonna make a lot of wide judgments right now and assumptions. <laughs> But if you're here, you have access to do something and make your voice heard, make sure people know that this is happening, even if you can't see it, because it impacts ultimately all of us.
1: now oh, thank you. Thank you for that reminder, Jasmine. Um, thank you. Um, so just just to kind of circle back to this connection that we're trying to make between, you know, creativity, access to cultural production, and also political agency, Jesse, I wanted to circle back to you to talk a little bit about um, what access to creative space was like for you, um, and and also sort of what role that connection plays in um, sort of your vision for the center. Um, and the center was quite recently established. It was 2022. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your mission and, and your vision for it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think to kind of piggyback off of what you were just saying is that if you think about how communities are oppressed, particularly with voting, like the carceral system is literally the catch-all system that is used for every issue right like if you the the prison is just a microcosm of society and it is what it is the the most bluntest violent tool I think that we use to oppress people and control the vote I mean literally they remove people from communities put them in prisons that are way out in the sticks and then they count those people for representatives in those communities so they get more political power while taking political power, power out of the communities where they just took someone from. I mean, it's like, it's a very clear connection. They do this all over the country. And I mean, honestly, it's like, they know exactly what they're doing. Women are the fastest rising uh, population of people who are being incarcerated now, because they've already incarcerated most of the men. And then usually if you have a criminal record, then you're barred from voting in some states like Florida. Um, and so it's like, in, in my mind, the the way that I think about my practice one as like a you know independent artist, I make my work, I make work about the issues of incarceration, I try to get people to engage with these very brutal concepts using aesthetical aesthetic, aesthetic tropes of beauty, um, but like kind of. Larger to my practice is the Center for Art and Advocacy, which is basically like, how do we create the spaces for people to have their own agency to really excel in the world? And so it's, it's not just me out here talking about this issue, using my artwork to engage with a thousand people that come to the Untitled Art Fair, but there's a thousand of me. And so the Center's goal is really to create as many Um, artists and support as many artists as we can humanly support across the country because then we're basically creating these nodes these people who are working in their own communities engaging people in their own communities talking about this system talking about what it does to them and I think like creating that sense of space is actually the thing that's going to have the larger ripple effects that will change how people view ideas change how people view what it means to interact with someone who's been in prison because when you meet someone and you hear them speak and you see their artwork it just immediately transforms all of those negative stereotypes that the media also uses like the media is so complicit in like the use of mugshots and weaponizing imagery and forming these narratives around certain people and certain communities as ways to get people to think and believe and be fearful. right? And fear is one of the main tools that they use to encourage people to vote one way or another um, on top of actual physical violence and force of removing people. And so for me, the importance of the work that we're doing at the center is creating that space for other artists and um, supporting them in whatever their vision is and whatever issue that they want to highlight or whatever their work engages with across the country.
1: No. And, um, it, it's just like a constant reminder that like artists, although we make interesting, beautiful things, um, we should be valued for more than the objects we create for more than our output. Um, I mean, as you can see from our, our tiny squad here that, um, we're, we're really thinking critically and we're, we're asking some really hard questions and we're in conversation about these things. And it's not easy right now. I mean, it's never been easy, but it's definitely not easy right now. So I just want to thank you all for your, for your work and your heart and insight, um, in elevating the voices of artists. Um, and I know we're kind of like getting to time. So, you know, I just wanted to close with kind of a final thought from each of you. Um, you know, something we promote and talk about a lot at Four Freedoms is creative civic engagement. Um, people are always like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, it can mean so many things. So I just I- I'd love to hear from each of you what what that might mean to you within the context of of your work.
2: I, creative civic engagement for me, I interpret that as as a user centered design, um, in another before I, I was practicing as an artist, I was an engineer. Uh, my degrees in aeronautics and astronautics. So
3: casual.
2: <laughs> well well, because of that, I reference the scientific method a lot. Like I, I think it just makes things really simple. Just break it down and make it easy. And and user-centered design is this concept where it's not rocket science, you just ask the user what do you need? And you start from there. So like when you think of um, the Swiffer, for example, right? that's an example of user-centered design. Folks were using mops before, and the engineers actually sat down with folks that use mops and brooms every day to find out what wasn't working. So people's backs were hurting, they had to always have a bucket of water and lift it. There were several steps. Spending time with the user helped inform how to design a better cleaning tool. So I like starting with the user and asking what and you might call it call and response, it might be user-centered design, but what do you need and what are the efficient ways that we can mobilize to get there? I I think that's an example of of creative civic engagement. I don't think there's one definition because we contain multitudes and there never is one answer, but that's an approach that I like to take that that has been useful for me.
4: Uh, I guess I can follow that. I I have not studied (laughs) astrophysics or uh, any of the other stuff. Um, I know, I know. I was like, I'll take that. Um, I think <clears throat> civic engagement for me is um, how do we support other people? And that is the, the main way, at least that's how I personally move through the world, is like, um, how, do, how can I be most useful in supporting people in whatever they're interested in? Um, and I think just generally approaching people and community, and um, kind of building different systems of connection in opposition to the ones that currently exist, is how I approach civic engagement. Um, I think that's that's probably it.
3: I guess I'm I'm just basically like the child of YouTube. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it's the same thing. I think everything I, I do professionally, which really bleeds into the way I operate personally is about civic engagement. And I guess, um, possibly contentious thing to say at an art fair, but I think really the only good art that we have in this moment in this society is about civic engagement and is responding to what's happening in, so, in our socio-political reality. Um, and so that's really the only types of art that I engage with. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is about, for me, um, thinking about the way and perhaps naively still thinking that um, art as a, as its symbiotic relationship with society is the thing that is going to change the world. And so everything I do is in deference of that. Um, And also what you said about the development of Swiffer is seriously changing the way I am going to think about civic engagement moving forward. I'm I'm not joking, I think it's important. User-centric attention Rather than sort of like the bene- benevolent imposition of ideas is essential in civic engagement. So I guess I'll leave it there.
1: Yeah, something that I really appreciate about everything you said is that um, it, it's it's something that that um, that centers us, right? Like at, as we're going through it and. Um, Yeah. As you said, it's not this like kind of benign gesture. It's, it's like, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's figure out how to do it together. And, and sometimes you create a roadmap and you start going down that road and, and the landscape burns down (laughs) or something really awful happens or something really transformative and beautiful happens that, um, reshapes it. And so our role within that too, should, should be retooled and rethought and, um, and so just this idea of flexibility as creativity is really inspiring to me. And, um, yeah, thank thank you all so much for the gold, gold nuggets of wisdom today. And um, please support these artists' work. They're... I was gonna say the F word, but I won't say it. I forgot we're being recorded for a podcast, <laughs> but they're really awesome. So, um, and and clearly, clearly doing a lot to to pave the way for for others. So, thank you again for being thank with us. You, today. Thank you, Michelle.
2: Thank you, Michelle.